Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Tethered Nation, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a great show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 181, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Tethered's own Greg Godfrey. Over the last six-plus years of diving down in the YouTube rabbit hole of hunting videos, there was one that I personally followed because of some awesome, great do-it-yourself videos. The individual that was putting out these great videos was none other than Greg Godfrey on his G2 Outdoors channel. From spray painting your sticks to building the ultimate truck camping experience, Greg had a video for it. Greg is also the co-owner of Tethered, and I have spent a good deal of time with Greg and have learned a lot and continue to learn from him uh, as I continue to work for Tethered. And this episode, we get into some really great information when it comes to preparing for your season right now. So if you're gearing up for your out-of-state hunt or your trip currently, you will want to listen to this episode and hear the good and the bad from Greg. So kicking off this episode, Greg shares how effort really plays a role in his everyday life. I asked him an unorthodox question, and I couldn't agree more with his answer, and I believe a lot of you will really relate to it. From here, we get into the real good stuff about planning right now for the upcoming season, what this looks like, and how you can avoid making some simple mistakes before you leave and while you're on your hunt. We discuss some hunting stories, how really it is not always the kill of the hunt that but rather the individuals you share camp with that make the trip we get into tactics when you are on these trips that we really i think will help you be ready for the opportunity and we wrap up the last few minutes of this episode with sharing some new products from tethered that they just released including the lockdown saddle the fold fold and go and the scorpion check it out and let us know what you think enjoy this fun episode and we'll see you next week with greg farrell from first light Really appreciate it, everybody. Have a good week. Antler up. And if you like what you hear during this episode, go leave that five-star review over on Spotify and iTunes. And as a thank you towards the end of the month, I'm going to pick a random winner, and I'm going to go over this next week, but I'm going to be giving away a half dozen, uh, a set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear of your choice, whether it be the MMT arrow or their new NIS arrow. So be on the lookout for that here in the next episode or two. I'll discuss that a little bit further or even on my Facebook and Instagram pages. So thanks again, everybody, for all the support. Have a great week. Antler up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters, Forward the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. 
America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show this week. I'm joined by a good friend of mine that I've learned a ton from even before I've had a chance to meet him. And I continue to learn from him every day that we either we chat or when we're together at an event. And that is none other than co-owner of Tethered. We have Greg Godfrey. Greg, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to catch up with an old pal, and especially here right before right before hunting season as we record this in early July. I'm uh, I got family vacation coming up next week, and then as soon as I get back from that, it's like tractor beam focus on on the hunting season so i'm excited this is like the best time of year july and august when i'm well not the best but getting ready for yeah. the hunt hunting season and you know kind of planning everything and getting details and like buying new gear and getting stuff pre- i just love it it's the best i'm with you on that usually once the fourth of july ends for me that's when things kick up that next uh, like bar, right? That's when I get a little bit more giddy. So I guess when, that, like you said, after that vacation, a little bit sprinkled now, a little bit, it seems like. So it's in, like you said, this is one of my favorite time. I feel like in the years past, the like the last month and a half up until right now, the, I used to buy so many different pieces of equipment that I th- thought I would need or would like or I want to try. And then the next thing you know, and I'm either flipping it or keeping it. That was like the the whole, with the whole gear side of things. I'm the same way. I I used to I used to buy and sell so much gear. I don't do it anymore. I find myself turning into a bit of a hoarder. Yeah. I just have all kind of stuff that I don't even use anymore, but it is what it is. Yeah. So to kind of kick things off, Greg, I want you to think about a memory or an instance that you could that maybe you think back on a lot that kind of help you get to where you are today. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the hunting world, you know, it could be in the business world. It could be in your like former military world. Like what's a moment or a memory that kind of really shaped you where you are today? That's a great question. And, uh, interesting way to start off the hunting <laughs> podcast. Uh, man, I think effort. I, I think about, I think about effort a lot and, you know, in a lot of books that I've read and conversations that I've had and relationships with mentors who have helped guide me through the years. I'm 42 years old, so um, not an old guy, but I'm not a young guy. I'm right there in the middle, right, where I've learned a little bit about life and made a lot of mistakes and gotten a lot smarter and a lot wiser, but I'm also not done, you know, either kind of thing. So I I, I think a lot about effort and – Man, it's like the one thing you can control. There are so many things that you just can't control. Like we think about like starting a business or shooting a big deer. There's so much that you can't control. (laughs) You can't control the wind. You can't control the weather. You can't control the food, the acorn crop. You can't control the hunting pressure unless you own all your ground. And even then you got to worry about poachers. But like 
like there's so much you can't control, but you can control the amount of effort you're willing to put in. And I, I have found in my life that uh, no matter what it is, if it's being a a hunter or a good dad or building a business that if you, you know, it all revolves around effort and, and the harder you work at something and the more you care about it, the more effort you put into it, it's just, you're bound to succeed in whatever, whatever success looks like for you. Um, you can get there if you just bust your ass and put in a lot of effort. So no, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a memory, but I think about that a lot. Yeah. And um, it's something that it comes back to me over and over and over again. And it, it's almost like a mantra that I kind of have in my life. Like, you know what? I can, I'm not the best looking guy. I'm not the <laughs> smartest guy. I'm not the most talented guy, but I can outwork a lot of people. So I think, uh, I think effort is a is is a big deal. It means a lot to me. Yeah. No. Anyway, I, I I agree with you. That's some that is one aspect that I think as a teacher that I you know really push and harp on with a lot of my students, especially my seniors. I've talked about it before on the podcast where when it ends when the season or the year wraps up with them as a senior group, I teach a personal training fitness class, and they're only seniors. They they take like these prereq courses throughout their four years where I teach. And then myself and two other professors or teachers uh, teach kind of like the same course. They have one, uh, her name's Dr. Reed. She teaches basically the main content side of things. They, she, they have her all year, phenomenal individual, great teacher as well. And then they go to another colleague of mine and he teaches them the health or I'm sorry, the, they get a health credit, but it's the nutrition side of things. And then they come to me for the inside the, the gym uh, in the weight room. And I kind of go over personal training skills, uh, proper technique, all that type of stuff. And every end of the year, I give them the life speech. Like I take off my teacher cap and I get like, I put on like the dad hat, the, also the teacher, the coach, the human being who's made a ton of mistakes, learn from them and kind of send that same message home to them. Like what you put into life is what you'll get. You're going to make hundreds of mistakes and that is okay. Like the one aspect that I always tell them, the wall at the walls around you are going to feel like they are closing in like none other, but no, every dark night, there's a bright day after that, no matter what that sun's coming up. So to kind of push forth that effort and my parents were divorced. I live with my grandparents a lot of things were kind of against me, quote unquote, I guess you could say, because of your upbringing, my upbringing. But at the same time, I had sports. I tried hard. I put in a lot of effort. Uh, same thing with what I do now as a teacher, as running Antler Up Outdoors and the podcast and my hunting and, you know, even working for you. That's the one aspect that I, I work my, my tail off and try to give you the best uh, that uh, of me as well. So I appreciate that. I love that you said effort. And uh, I do believe no matter what you put in and the more I, as, as the hunting side of things go, the more individuals that I talk to that put in a lot of time and effort, not necessarily always the effort putting boots on the ground. That is one of the skills, but getting out there and putting a lot of effort into it, those individuals really reap those rewards. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh you know, talent, talent matters. And if you have talent, you know, you've got a leg up on the competition, but even if you're not the most talented individual like me, you know, just some idiot, but if you're willing to work hard and, and learn, you can, 
you can you can do what you want to do no matter what it is you know um jason big bucks or like you said doing all the other stuff that makes a a well-rounded human being i mean it all it all revolves around effort and attitude so i like that Uh, remember that listeners as you're chasing the booner this year bust your butt keep a good attitude and even if you don't get them you'll be a better hunter for it no no i i've learned more in the hunting woods of from failure than probably success yeah no doubt about it that's fair i I think that's fair um you know those are the hard lessons but they seem to be the ones that stick with you yep no doubt about it so what we just talked about earlier on Right now, we're in July. It is that fun time. We're, we're chipping away. Like You don't want summer to end because of the weather and how nice it is, but you know it's so close to that deer season. Anytime I go on a run and I see deer or a drive, you know, I always say I have that like weird x-ray vision where I'm like deer and it's like 700 yards away. My wife you know, just is like, I don't know how you see all that stuff. Things start to get a little bit more fun and closing in on the hunting season. So with that, Greg, what are you doing now to prepare for this upcoming season, or are you about to do, if that makes sense? So right now it's all about prep for, for, for travel. So I'm a little different because I, you know, I have a job, a full-time gig in the hunting industry, and a lot of what I do, uh, a lot of my job revolves around creating content for hunting. So I, it's, it's not it's not really fair for me to you know be like what am i doing because my world is a little different now than it used to be but i mean right now pre-tethered i would have been planning my one big trip that i got to do you know i i I, you know when i was in the army and i was active duty or even before that i uh you know i i I basically got one hunting trip per year more or less because that was about all the time i could get off that i didn't all all didn't have to commit to family so you know, my wife, typically I got, I got one trip. So me and my brother or me and my dad or whoever, we'd be planning that, that one thing. Where are we going? We're going to Indiana and we're going to stay with a buddy and we're going to hunt his farm or we're going to Illinois and me and Bobby, we're going to go rent a hotel or an Airbnb or sleep in our truck or whatever it is. It was all about getting to know that area. So forums uh, making phone calls to wildlife biologists, doing pre-scouting with Onyx uh, to to kind of plan where I'm going and do that stuff. That's the stuff that I'm getting my gear kind of all lined out. Now, you know, fast forward 20 years, and I pretty much know how to do all that stuff. And I'm 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 yeah, I guess at this point I'm an expert. I've done it so <laughs> much, and I've been to so many states, and I've hunted so many different places that I. I, I pretty much can do it blindfolded at this point. So now it's more, now I focus more this time of year, kind of unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's more work for me now. Now it's more about planning for all the people that I am responsible for and the content and all that stuff. That's really, and then I get to tag along. So like, yeah. for instance, we're doing some stuff in North Dakota this year um, for the kickoff. So I do kind of handle a lot of the planning and stuff for that. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll just show up and hunt. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> a lot easier for me in that regard. Um, and, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but now I've got access to gear and stuff like that. So I, I don't really have to worry about that stuff anymore. I, I know. Sorry. No. <laughs> I know, but it is what it is. Hey, but, when you work hard and put in that effort, good things happen. Yeah. And then it's like you get 
you know, one of our partners at Tethered is, is Vortex and they're, you know, a great partner. And, but I don't have to worry about glass anymore because Vortex is, they're so awesome. They're like, what do you need, Greg? And I'm like, Oh, I need this. And they're like, okay, they send it to me. So it's, it's really cool. Um, but you know, that took a lot of work to get there, but yeah. So point is, is I, I, I don't focus a lot on myself anymore for hunting. I really focus on our team and what we're doing. And then I just kind of insert myself. I cherry pick the best spots. Uh, and, and I do that. So man, everybody's going to hate me after this because I'm going, I'm going to North Dakota. I'm going to Illinois in October. I'm going to, uh, back to North Dakota for rifle season and then i'm going on another trip somewhere in the midwest i don't know where nice. um and for the first part of november so i've got four four big whitetail hunts planned this year um yeah i'm pretty excited about that i like that greg now what's what some, are you what are you planning this fall so this fall will be obviously pennsylvania i'll i have uh ohio which is where i'll be uh Actually, when this episode drops, I'll be getting ready right for that trip. So I'll be going out a couple of days ago, put some cameras, get some boots on the ground, that type of stuff. Uh, I'm going close to an area where I killed that turkey uh, in Ohio. So I uh, kind of got a little bit of, of the ground underneath me a little bit, but it was, I was not necessarily focused on whitetail at that point in time. So I'll be going to Ohio for sure. I know Bobby and I are still planning on doing that early November hunt together. So maybe we'll be in that same region together during that time frame. So uh, that I think we're still planning Missouri. So I, for that uh, beginning of, of November. So that's where uh, I, I plan on hopefully kind of taking things. And if I am successful early in PA, maybe during gun season, New York, it will be an option, which would be pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really miss that, that part about hunting season. Yeah, that's one of the downsides about getting a, you know, being a full-time guy in the outdoor world. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, right? There's good and bad. You know, the pro is you get to think about what you're passionate about 365 days a year and turn that into a way you make a living. But then the flip side of that is it turns it into you got to make a living Living. (laughs) so with the hunting season you know that sounds great that i get to focus on hunting all the time but in reality it kind of screws me up a little bit because i don't get to just get excited about it like i used to as much you know because it turns into work but the flip side is like turkey season we're not a turkey company so when it's turkey season i can just be greg and focus on turkey so that has turned into something that i really enjoy like last year i went on uh uh, i went on two trips with my brother we went to missouri and then we went and one with my brother one with my dad my dad and i went to to shot an osceola down near lake okeechobee in florida and then uh me and bobby went and shot an eastern in missouri and those were just no filming no well we did film but it was all like self-film stuff you know it's not like content i'm not bringing camera like it was easy uh and man that is that is the best one day i will get back to that in the deer hunting world where i can just focus on planning my one or two trips a year and just go with all my buddies and and do it that way because you do you do lose that well I, i guess i should speak for myself i i have lost that a little bit in in 
that that fun aspect of it when you turn it into a gig you get you, you lose a little you lose a yeah. little bit of that and it's uh you know so it's not all it's not all rainbows and unicorns when you when you work in the hunting industry 24 7 but at the same time it still beats uh sitting in a cubicle, cubicle. writing mortgage. Yep. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specification in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, the first being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU12 to save 12% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Yeah, well, I see, I have to go back. I have to rebuttal you a little bit, and that is not okay. Tether being a, a uh, turkey company, which I agree, but man, this thing right behind me right here, that sucker, man... I love it, dude. I, I mean, I know there's so much more we could use it for other than turkey season. So I, I get it. It's a, it. To me, it's like a Swiss Army knife for hunting, scouting, fishing, turkey hunting, you name it. So I get what you're saying. But as far as I, I used to be a, a big turkey vest guy and then I got away from it. How could I be the min, minimalist as possible? But this year it combined that turkey vest and feeling minimalist as possible in one because I, I said it in some of the video clips that you really don't, unless you have it really packed down, you didn't really notice it on you. So it wasn't like cumbersome, like, man, this vest, this is whatever. It was, I mean, Carl crushes everything that Carl does. And, and, but at the same time, uh, that, that thing is pretty freaking slick. I agree. It's a home run. Yeah. You, you totally forget that it's there the way Carl designed it. And, you know, the boys over at THP had a lot Not of to input do yep. into how this thing worked. So between, you know, the guys at Tether that understand ultralight gear manufacturing and then THP with their turkey chops and the way that they know what matters to a turkey hunter, man, I, I really feel like it's a home run. I love that vest. I used it all over the country for two seasons, the prototype last, well, two seasons ago, and then the production version this year. And yeah. I'm with you. It's awesome. There's a thousand ways you can do it. The Swiss Army knife is a great, is a great analogy because it, it truly can do, I mean, from shed season, you know, you got the, 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 the bird bag, right. which, which mm -hmm. doubles great as a, as a dump pack for your, for sheds. And yep. then, you know, water, it just does everything. It, yeah. it really does. So I'm excited to try it out this year, uh, deer hunting and see how it, how it goes for some stuff. Like I've got a couple of things planned where I might be doing some ground attack stuff. Yep. And I think it's going to be a home run for stuff like that. So okay. I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, the M2 is pretty awesome. I like that. Now, now we'll kind of, okay, there was my squirrel moment. There was, that's where I just like go, just go total squirrel. So we were talking about what you're doing now and in, a, and in the month of, of the summer months, July, and you've been doing it for a long time, like you mentioned. And I remember going back, watching your G2 videos and just seeing some of the things that you were doing to prep your, your gear and your truck and all that stuff. Like I, again, I, when I seriously say I learned a lot from you prior to meeting you and, and, and collaborating and doing things before you, I, I truly mean that. And I know you provided, uh, also like an, a newer article written on tether nation on the blog for, you know, your, your, 
you, you're hunting multiple states or you're hunting at going out of state, like here's some things. And I know you created like a checklist, which I find very helpful because that's how my brain works. And obviously that's how your brain works as well. You know, what are maybe some other little overlooked tasks that hunters seem to forget when they're doing this? Like, I mean, you could go, what, just what do you think basically with that? So an overlooked task that hunters seem to forget when they're planning these trips or getting ready to go? There's a couple that come to mind on my, I have an awesome checklist that I have been using for five seasons now. And when you look at it, it's a Google, it's a Google spreadsheet, you know, Excel spreadsheet essentially. And I, and I just, every, every new hunt, I just take a, I have a base tab, you know, the very first tab when you open it up is kind of everything, all my gear. And then, for each one, I, I just duplicate that tab, make a new tab, and then delete out the stuff that I want and rename it. So, like this year, I will make a new tab for North Dakota, and then nice. it'll say North Dakota 2023, and it's all right there. So, But a couple of things that I've learned, kind of things that a lot of people wouldn't think about. A, I learned this on an elk hunt in Colorado, always have um, extra uh, extra stuff that you just leave in your truck. So I have an I have a whole tab that's that's literally labeled or a whole column that's literally labeled leave in truck and it's stuff okay. like changes of clothes, cash, um, extra extra um, uh, life uh, uh, ice chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. But there's four or five things that is like leave in your truck that's just for emergency cases. This would be like a backpack hunt or somewhere where you're away from the truck, something like that. For whitetail, one of the things that I added to to my checklist was to find a taxidermist mm. because, you know, law, laws have changed in the last 10 years and you can't trans, transport, you know, if you kill a gagger, you're not able to transport that stuff legally over a lot of state lines because of CWD and whatnot. So part of my checklist is every area that I go to, I find a local taxidermist that I can leave my stuff with, or at least put in a freezer until I figure out, you know, what the next step is because, you know, you can always skull cap it and leave the, leave the skull and the the spine and everything in that state. And then you're able to trans transport it. But if I don't want to skull cap it, if I want to take, you know, maybe I'm in a situation where I don't feel like it's a really big buck and yeah. I don't feel comfortable, you know, caping it out for whatever reason. You know, I want to take the whole head. So uh, that's part of the checklist. Part of the things that goes on my checklist is to find a local taxidermist and then at least make a call and explain what I'm going on and be like, dude, if I get one down, you know, do you have a freezer kind of thing like that? That's actually a really great tip and something that I'm sure a lot of people either already, you know, are, are doing, but also maybe overlook. So that is a great tip. And Greg, I appreciate you sharing that one. Now, when you were talking about, you know, now things, a lot has changed over the years, as far as your setup and everything like that, especially when traveling, what it, and I'm, I remember seeing some of the posts last year, how sometimes you guys had like a little minivan as you're going into a couple of spots, like in Nebraska and stuff like that. Where, like, what does that camp life now look look like for you? It, it really has anything changed, or is it still like whatever, whatever is available f- for me to to camp or stay somewhere? That's what's uh what I'll be doing. Yeah, it's whatever. So I've done it all, man. I've stayed at friends' houses. I've rented cabins. I've stayed in tents. I've slept in my truck. It just kind of depends on what 
what the world throws at you. So like this year, let's just talk about this year. So this year I'll go to, I'll go to North Dakota and I'll sleep out of my truck or a tent. I'll probably have both. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I have a, I built a whole sweet little DIY rig for the back of my truck that, um, that I slept in many, many nights. And, uh, I'll either sleep in that in North Dakota or I'll bring a couple of tents and, and sleep at, sleep at a campground. Then, uh, when I go on a rifle hunt in North Dakota, I'll, we, we rented a house. Yep. I'm not sleeping in, in North Dakota outside. It'll be zero like, degrees. it could literally be zero. Yeah. Like last, the last time I hunted in rifle season in North Dakota, it was zero and there was, you know, foot and a half snow on the ground. So now I got a house for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then when I go to me and a bunch of buddies go to Kentucky, we, we, we've been going for the past three or four years. We do a big Airbnb and we all sleep on couches. I bring an air mattress because I'm usually the last one there, so all the beds get taken. So I bring an air mattress and throw it in the wherever I can find room. So you just do what you do, you know. Two two years ago, I went to Kansas, uh, public land Kansas hunt, and I hunted, I hunted near this lake. So we rented a little cabin that was on the lake, and I brought my boat so I was could hunt by boat. Yeah. You just do whatever you got to do. I mean, a lot of times it's dictated by finances and, you know, sleep in your truck and build. I think I did a DIY video on my G2 Outdoors YouTube channel. I think it cost me like 150 bucks to build a, a camper set up in the yep. back. And it's awesome. Like, yep. it's totally awesome. You can always find friends. The biggest buck that I ever killed in my life was in Indiana. And I just crashed on a buddy's couch. So there's there's no right or wrong way to do it i mean it's just whatever your checkbook allows really and then what also how how the hunt works i mean sometimes you got to cover a lot of miles and so it would make way more sense to sleep in your truck sometimes you got a ton of property that's really close to a central campground and so it makes sense to kind of home base and go out from there it just depends. Like Carl yeah. and Caden, they they went on a turkey hunt this spring, and they were hunting really spread out properties. So they just slept in their truck. Like they check this property this day, and then drive to the next spot and sleep, and then you know just kind of move. Which that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I've never done it that way. I've always done the home base. Even if I was sleeping in my truck, I would come back to the campground. Um, but that's a great way to do it too. And you don't have to spend a lot of money. You, no. you can do it for essentially free, you know? Right. What has been, uh, when you think back to all your out of state hunts, what state or which hunt seems to be like one that you just love? Like that is like a, such a favorite hunt of yours. It definitely revolves around people. Yeah. I mean, I've been in camps where I didn't lose an arrow and they were awesome. And then I've been in camps where, you know, it, like you don't really you know they're not your people like maybe you're a guest or something and or you're going with other folks and you don't really know them and that was you know kind of eh, kind of okay but yeah. then the, the the best camps that i've been a part of have nothing to do with the lodging they have nothing to do with whether or not i killed a booner or not because i've never killed a booner <laughs> ever um but it has more to do with the people and when you're in camp with with like-minded fellas that and the food's good and you know the weather cooperates those tend to be the best camps even yeah. even when like i said you don't kill anything man when the when the temperatures are right and it's cold and it feels like deer and everybody's 
you know, talking shit back and forth <laughs> one another at night. Yeah, that's the best. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And um, there's been several camps now. I've been lucky to be in several camps like that. And it seems like nowadays more and more I get to do that, you know, once or twice a year, which is just awesome. So, I don't know. Some guys are different. Some guys like to be on their own. And yeah. it's more up to them. It's more about the kill. Um you know, they're like really honed in on killing a big mature deer, which is totally fine. Um, I found for me that over the years that has become less important to me. And, uh, but there was a time in my life where it was, there was a time in my life where like the only, I wouldn't go and camp with other people like me and my brother, we would go somewhere and our purpose was killing a big deer. Now we didn't always do that, but that's what we really cared about. I've kind of changed. I guess maybe I've gotten soft as I've gotten older, and I don't care as much about that anymore. Like, I want to kill a big deer, but I'd really rather just be in camp with people I enjoy hanging out with and, you know, have fun. That's, yeah. uh, it's gotten more about that to me. So, now, That's a great answer. What's so funny is yesterday I went on this run, and I, as I was running through this trail near back by my house, as I was coming up the one little hill, I could see in the timber this this doe, and I'm I'm like, man, she's just staring at me. Like, when's she gonna go? And as I'm getting closer and closer, and she did not move, and I got like maybe seven seven yards from her as I pass her, and she just stayed there staring at me. And the reason why I'm telling you this is, as I'm running, I'm thinking about our this conversation and how the direction I wanted to go, and I started thinking about that specific question that I asked you. And it's remarkable that you said that because the same thing for you. I have some hunts coming up. Like I mentioned, I'm going on the scouting trip here uh, to Ohio with two good friends of mine. One of them I went to uh, Utah with a couple years ago. The other one I went, did a early season hunt in Delaware with. And I just think back to those memories. I didn't kill anything. One of them I drew back on, on a mule deer. Uh, I, I did not release the arrow, but just, being in those presence and uh, in, in camp and everything like that, I that's what I was thinking about too. And it's funny you were like, "Am I getting soft?" And man, it, it's about those relationships, right? Those memories you're creating. And one of them comes to mind that you that you mentioned and you said earlier, you're going to be doing it again this year. Is that North Dakota? I remember Greg watching that. You killed a, a, a great buck. Carl killed one with his trad bow. I remember watching those couple videos and being so like in a positive way, jealous of that because of just seeing how awesome that camp really was with the people in there. I'm like, man, I want to experience that. Not a, like the hunting thing. It wasn't even about the hunt. It was like just the experience of that camp of how bad I wanted to be a part of that in the sense of like with friends and, and good people. And just, you could see how much fun you guys really had. Um, and then once I had a chance to get to know you guys and work events and, and I would bring that up and talk to you and it just like solidified just how much fun that stuff is. And that's like, man, that's, that's good stuff. Can you go with me this year? I, I would, I, I would. It's right in the middle of school season. Hey, it's, well, in, it's in September. You can go with me again. We're going to a different place, but uh, you're welcome to you're welcome to uh, join us, man. It'd be fun. Now that specific camp. So so listen to this. That was that was me, Carl, Jared, the yep. Ginger Ninja, yep. who is a killer. Yep. Um, who Shane. works at Tether. We had Garrett Prawl, the yep. DIY sportsman, was there. We had Shane Simpson, mm -hmm. who is a killer. 
uh, and we had Troy, uh, the uh, ranch ferry. Yep. He, him and his son drove up from Texas to join us on that hunt. And that, and then there was some other guys there that, um, just made that camp so much fun. And we were, we were sleeping in our trucks and we had, a, you know, at a campground, but you know, we slept in our trucks or tents or whatever. And the weather was great. The people were great. I killed a great buck. I mean, it was super, super fun. That is a, that is a very, very fun memory of a camp. And that goes up there at the top of the list. Honestly, that, that was a fun camp. There's a funny story there. Uh, I was asleep in my truck um, it was like 11:30 at night, midnight or so, and this this dude, this dude with like a big 40 foot, you know, like a bus travel trailer bus, he pulls into the campsite next to us, and he woke up our whole camp. You know, they were being loud, and and it was just, I get it. You get there late, you know. You were driving all day. You get there late. You get to camp when you get to camp. Like I get it, but they were they were being really loud and like they were just weren't being very respectful to the other people in the campground. And I'm asleep in my truck, like right next to his, to his, to where he pulled up. I'm, I'm talking like 10 feet. Like he, my truck's parked in the spot here and he's like the next guy. He's right there. And, uh, so we all kind of woke up and a couple of the guys were out of, out of the tent, like Jared and, and Carl, I think were out of the, out of their tents and, and whatever. And there was a picnic table right behind my truck so i had like backed in my truck and the picnic table was you know like a big concrete picnic table that you can't move it's just it's there and so some of my stuff and like my gear and whatnot was on the picnic table and you know whatever well i guess that was their picnic table is really hard to know because the the parking spot for my campsite that i had paid for was literally right in front of it right so like if you put my tailgate down, like that was the picnic table. It was right there in the same line. So I guess that was their picnic table. We didn't know that. It was there's like a hundred picnic tables. It's like big deal, right? Use the one on the other side of your camper. Who cares? Well, this dude gets out. It's like midnight. I'm asleep. He's waking everybody up. And then he starts bitching about the camp the the picnic table. He's like He's like, this guy's good. He's, he's, he's like being really loud, talk, yeah. complaining to his wife. Like, these took over our picnic table. So he kept going on. Finally, I get out, and I'm pissed at this point. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's midnight. Are you going to have a picnic? Like, what does it matter? We'll clean it in the morning. Like, big deal. Like, we almost came to blows. I was pissed. <laughs> I, I typically don't lose my temper, but I was very angry that yeah. night. And, uh. We exchanged some words. I, I may or may not have said some things that I probably shouldn't have said, and I think Carl had to step in and get in between. I'm I'm not a you know I'm not a very angry guy typically, but that dude he pissed me off, and yeah. I, I was ready to go to blows with him. Um, anyway, that's a good one. But those kind of things make a great yep. hunt. <laughs> if you almost get in a fight, I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to be a good hunt. Kid. Yep, yep. Some people just you know they think they think they're the main character in the story and everybody else is supporting cast. And you just have to remember that and you're not the main character. There are other people out there. And you know, that guy, he could have handled that situation completely. There is, first of all, there's no need to bitch about a, a picnic table literally at midnight. midnight. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to break out peanut butter and jelly and have (laughs) a picnic at night? Like you're not doing it. You know, why, why cause a fight? just wait till the morning. Like yeah. it's, it's, it wasn't a big deal. And then 
coming in being all rude and shining your lights and being loud and it's just obnoxious and unnecessary just be respectful. I know. So here's a question. When you get to these hunts, you know, maybe you've had the opportunity, like like North Dakota. Yes, you've been there in years past, but now this is going to be a new spot that you're going to. Maybe you have some prior knowledge from friends or whatever like that. Um, when you get to a spot new, totally out of your, um, you know, obviously you're, you've maybe looked on Onyx and you looked at on the map of e-scouting and everything like that. But what are maybe some things that you are really keen on taking precaution or aggressive with like meaning your entry route, your exit route, like or do you go full bore just because you're only here for a cer- certain amount of time and don't necessarily care because, Hey, if I'm going to make it happen, I have to find the, the sign, the location of the deer, all that stuff. Like what, anything like that, that you really pay attention to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do get really aggressive on these out of state hunts. Um, <laughs> Every now and again, you know, if you get lucky, you can you can bide your time on a short out of state. You know, call it a one week hunt because that's what most guys get. You know, mm-hmm. they get their rut their rutcation for a week in November, and that's mo- what most guys get to do. Sometimes you get lucky and you can find a spot you know that needs a west wind, and you get a west wind. You know, on day two or something. But normally, you gotta just take oh. what you get and. Yeah. So I do get pretty aggressive. Like the first, I like to show up and spend at least a full day scouting. And what that includes typically is I'll have, you know, a dozen Onyx uh, places marked on the map. And typically I'll go and check those out. I like to check out access. I like to see, you know, the parking lots. Um, I like to kind of look for, uh, I like to look for weird access. Mm -hmm. So one of the, one of the story I like to tell that I've used in several articles and on a lot of podcasts is I found this spot um, one time that that there was a bridge like an overpass on the interstate and then there was a parking lot close to that bridge and but nobody would go and park in the park everybody would like park and then go let's just say north I'm just saying mm-hmm. it. but if you went to the south what you would have found is this weird underpass and you could have gone under the river and accessed a little piece of property that was hard to get to from any other way so creative access uh most people just didn't think about doing that they didn't think about walking down the the cut over through the interstate and then walking under the bridge you know so stuff like that look for look for creative ways or if you can knock on a door and maybe get permission to a backside of public land that's really hard to access from public access. You know, maybe it's four or five miles to get back there if you had to walk, but you could knock on one door and maybe just get access to use their land for, you know, walking only, not even hunting. Just say, hey, can I walk through your backyard and get here? You know, a lot of times if you're persistent, you can get that access. So that's what I do a lot of in the beginning is I'm scouting access and then, looking for just looking for creative things to to maybe put myself in a situation that other guys wouldn't think of so that i've had really good success doing that and i don't like to necessarily go deep deep into scouting Mm -hmm. um i like to scout the edges and i like to scout places where it would be you know it wouldn't necessarily uh 
ruin my chances or maybe places that deer probably are used to humans being so I, i'm not screwing anything up i typically don't like to like dive off deep down into there uh it just depends on the situation but i typically don't like doing that i like to hunt i like to you know scout my way in and then kind of set up fresh but it, it also just depends on it depends on the spot. Like right. there's just no script that you can stick to a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Now this is a question that I've heard a lot either on, on my podcast or other others and videos, even, you know, when you find that, that little new fresh sign, right. You find what you're looking for. Like what is your deciding factor when you're deciding that tree? Like, is it the cover? Is it the shooting distance to that X amount of sign or that trail? Because that's the beauty, obviously of saddle hunting. Like you're not hunting a tree anymore. Right. So like when you find that good area, that good spot, like what does then when you look around and you're like, that is the tree I need to be in. Like, what does that necessarily have to have for you? So first of all, you gotta you gotta take into consideration the wind. Mm. Now, if there's a hot doe, and you know if you're in the stage of the rut where they're chasing hard, mm-hmm. I, sometimes wind doesn't freaking matter. I mean, if you're in the right spot at the right time, I mean, every hunter has this story where the wind should have been blowing right to that deer, and they didn't even care. They yeah. just uh, so it that can happen but i'm never planning for that i'm always planning for okay what happens if if he comes in how's he gonna win me um that's number one. Second is access if i have to go through you know good good uh habitat where i think i have a high potential of spooking deer i'm gonna avoid that so i'm looking for an, an advantage with the wind and with access a lot of times i like to use water you know, creek bottoms or even dry creek drainages, something that shields you from, shields your access to where yeah. you can get in and out bulletproof, which it's hard to find, yeah. uh, you know, in a week. <laughs> yeah, that's typically things that you find, you know, in your home area where you're hunting a, a, a specific area kind of year after year and you see how deer use the area and you can slowly over time kind of pinpoint the right areas and, and then you know but in a week that's difficult you know so i tend to just try to get really aggressive on on uh, on spots when i'm there for a short amount of time and you know a lot of times if it's throw caution to the wind like if i find really fresh sign and i think he's gonna win me and i try to get that you know maybe the slight advantage like maybe i can find a tree where I think the wind's going to quarter me away just a little bit where I can maybe get away with it. I'll risk it. Yeah. Um, I shot a great buck in Kentucky uh, several years ago that I ended up not finding, which that buck, it still haunts me to this day. I best I can tell is I got a single lung and there was blood everywhere. I, I, I still don't know how we didn't find that deer. We found blood everywhere, a ton of blood. Didn't find the deer. But anyway, that was a situation where my access was bulletproof because I could come through a field to get there, but the wind was very iffy, very iffy. It was in a, in a bowl, so it swirled, mm-hmm. and I had the wind blowing. I, I waited for a wind that kind of was blowing from the, from the bottom kind of up the hill, so the idea was that it was kind of going to blow up the hill and then swirl behind me. And it was just off enough to where he came in and didn't win me. And that was like perfect. I, I, 
it was perfect. Um, yeah. It worked. A lot of times that doesn't work, but it worked this particular time in Kentucky, and I just screwed up the shot, which, man, that bothers me. I still don't <laughs> know how. I, uh, man, it's giving me, it's giving me PTSD just yeah, thinking no, about I, it. I, I, that, I, that year should have been dead, and I, I, uh, I really regret that one. That was probably my, probably my second biggest bow buck ever, and uh, you yeah, even that have really that. Bothered. That you guys posted that too. Yeah, I yeah. got it on video, yeah. and and I thought I thought I did everything right. You know, I did do everything right up until squeezing the trigger, but that deer was really really tense. Like when he came in, in hindsight, I found some really big signs in this particular little drainage, like rubs, like as big around as your thigh, like really big sign. And they were shredded and it was fresh, fresh scrapes. I could smell the deer. I knew there was a big buck in this area. So, uh, I actually found that the first day the wind was completely wrong. Like it was blowing up the drainage. And so I needed it to switch a little bit or else I felt like I had no chance. Um, so anyway, the next day it switched and I went in there, even though it wasn't perfect, it was more of a crosswind. It, it, I, I decided to risk it and I knew there was a really big buck in the area. Well, I wrap, this is like November 5th, 6th, right? They should be, these, these bucks should be cranking. So I did some rattling, some grunting, and this buck came in, I'm going to say he was 140 inches, 100, 100 yeah. mid forties. Um, you know, I don't really score my deer, but it's it's helpful to give that number so uh, mm-hmm. so listeners understand what mm-hmm. kind. Of, you know, it wasn't a hundred and ten inch Florida deer like <laughs> I'm used to shooting. This was a big deer, right? Yep. Um, however, in hindsight, looking at the way that buck reacted, it, he came right to a big scrape and a cedar tree that was shredded. And this cedar tree was, you know, as big around as your thigh. It was a big tree and it was shredded. And he came to that sign very tentatively. It, it all happened quickly in the moment. I didn't register it, but going back and watching the footage and thinking it through, that was not the buck that made that sign. That was a subordinate buck. And he came in to see What's who was rattling in there yeah. and to see if, you know, one of his little buddies had just gotten their butt whooped by the big dog. So he came in and he was sniffing that that rub and sniffing the scrape and he was very tense so i think he was not scared of a hunter i think he was scared of getting his butt kicked by that big buck so in hindsight you know i should have noticed that and aimed low um even though it was only like an 18 yard shot so i don't know but i i ended up hitting a little bit higher than i would have liked and i think because of the way he turned and ducked i think i only got one long the the I think I missed the far side lung and I only got the near side lung. Um, that's the best I could tell based on the track. But but it, but it, that was interesting that this was a big giant buck to me. And, you know, in Georgia where I live, that would have been the dominant yeah. big oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in that area, he was like a three-year-old subordinate buck and he was very, very nervous about old big daddy that was in yeah. there. Uh, so anyway... Um, that was that was interesting. The way that hunt worked out is is kind of an example of how just getting really aggressive. Sometimes it might not be stuff might not be in your favor. I mean, the wind was definitely not perfect. It, I he could have spelled me just as easily as he didn't. I just got right. lucky that you know when he came in, the wind wasn't really blowing, and if it had swirled, 
he probably would have winded me. So yeah. I it just kind of got lucky. Now he could have come from a different, if he had come from a different direction, I probably would have been okay. But, you know, it's just on a week long hunt, yep. you don't really have the option of sitting and waiting until everything's perfect. I love that. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Not sitting and waiting. And so now here's here's another question to build on that. And that is something that we talked about earlier is where we said, you know, I've learned more from my failures in, in life, but especially hunting. You know, what was a maybe something that you really took away from that? Like when you obviously pulled out of that parking lot, left Kentucky, what was something that you're like, okay, this is something that either I know I need to do or not do next time? I think for me, it was a major confidence boost. It was a major confidence boost, like trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been times where I would have, you know, tiptoed around that area and waited and waited. And there, there, there were years where I would have not even hunted that spot because the wind wasn't right. right. I would have said, oh, you know, I don't want to screw it up. But I, I learned after that hunt, you know, trust your gut and get aggressive. Like if there's a big buck in there and you know that that he's there recently because of the sign that you're seeing, like don't discount fresh sign. If there is fresh big sign and, you know, enough of it to make you think that it wasn't just a one-time deal. Like sometimes you go and you find a, you know, a scrape on a, on a, on a, you know, one, one scrape on a ridge top. That, well, that could be he just was chasing a doe, and, you know, that could be a one-off. But mm-hmm. if you find a spot that is, you know, tore up with sign, and it looks like it's there's historical sign, so it's it's a spot that you think that they're in now, hunt it. Yeah. Like, maybe not if it's if, if everything is totally wrong, you know, maybe don't hunt it that day, or maybe you do if it's right. That's another thing. Like, that's part of the reason why I love hunting with ultralight gear. Cause I can carry that stuff in with me. And if I find it right now, like Go. I can hunt it right, right now. Yeah. Um, I don't have to come back and prep a tree and do a bunch of trimming to get my big tree stand in there. Or maybe there's a spot where a climber won't cause the trees are gnarly and a bunch of branches. Like you can't even get a climber in there. That's part of the reason why I like saddle hunting so much is, um, uh, I can just dip back to the truck if I don't have it with me and just throw it on and go. Like sometimes hunting it right now is the best. Um, but if it's totally wrong, you know, trust your gut. If you think the wind is going to really screw you and you know, come back and hunt it later. Yeah. I like and that. An, I'll pivot to that back to that North Dakota hunt. It was public yeah. land where I, where I killed that really nice buck on public land. First time I'd ever been to this area. Um, another thing that I learned on that hunt is don't, overthink stuff okay so in that particular hunt i i had planned on carl was filming me and you can watch both of these hunts on the tethered yep, channel by absolutely. the way this north dakota hunt and the kentucky hunt you can watch them both and see how it all played out if you want but that north dakota hunt carl had already tagged out he had shot a buck like the first day first or second day so carl was actually filming for me and we had picked a spot that was about a mile back on this piece of public. We were going to cross a river, 
and it looked really good. It looked, it was hard to access. It looked like, you know, there's a lot of thick bedding cover. It looked really, really good on a map. We'd never been there before. So that was our plan to scout our way back. And we had a couple of pins right there that we were going to set up in. Well, we get there and we park. This is another thing about that creative access. Uh So I parked in a spot that wasn't associated with the, the public land. I didn't park in one of the, the, parking spots i parked in an area that had a weird access through a piece of private land that was not marked as no hunting so in north dakota you're allowed to access that land so that's what i did i parked in a weird spot that nobody else would park and then i i went through the private the farmer's lane you know i didn't go through his crops or anything but i walked down his lane and it wasn't his house it was just a you know farming farming field so i walked the edge and and when i got to the the border of the public and the private it was literally this giant silage pile of corn it was on private land and i i was not hunting it i think that might even be legal in north dakota i can't remember but it wasn't on the public land it was on the private land and it was just where that he had been dumping all his his grain and silage piles what it was and and it was just covered up with deer there was like beds in the corn (laughs) And there was poop in the corn, and so me and Carl, we walked past. We were like, "Oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of deer use in this area." So we walked past it, and and then we went. I think I stopped, and I was like, "Carl, I know this is like you can see the truck. It's like right there." I said, "But should we just hunt right here, like right on the public land?" And he was like, "Oh, maybe we should, because there was rubs and deer. It was like deer heaven where yeah. they were just coming and eating on the edge of this field." I was like, man, this seems stupid, but, you know, so anyway, don't overthink it, right? So we scrapped our plans. We walked 30 yards into the public and found a tree. We climbed the tree. I could see my truck uh, from, I was probably 75 yards from my truck. It was stupid. Like, it doesn't make sense, but we had this, all this food that just made sense. Yep. So we hunted right there. We saw seven different bucks that came out. We saw three bucks that were big, like, you know, three-year-old bucks and bigger. And one of them, the biggest one, finally, he came and gave me a great shot. I shot him right in the throat. He yep. was he was kind of like quartering hard to Two. me. Yep. Yep. He was quartering really hard to me, which I have killed four bucks with that shot. Uh, that that hard Kansas one Kansas was shot. like that too right I shot one in Kansas yeah. I shot one in Missouri I shot one in uh Indiana and I shot that one in North Dakota facing straight on essentially and I just put it right here and those deer don't run more than 30 yards they are dead quick but anyway that was an example of don't overthink it I mean we found all this food all this fresh sign and instead of sticking to our plan we called an audible and hunted 30 yards from the truck, but it was the right call based on that sign. So, you know, get aggressive, but also don't overthink it, man. If you see sign and it looks fresh and hot, get on it. it, get on it. And, you know, don't go in there and screw it all up and walk around and just get to the first tree that gives you a good shooting opportunity that breaks up your outline. I mean, don't overthink it. Uh, A lot of times I think that we give, we give these deer too much credit, and uh, we think they're smarter than they are. Um, so there you go. There's, I, there's two examples yeah. for I love me that. on public land 
you know, don't overthink it and get aggressive. I love that. And that's a perfect transition to kind of towards the end of this podcast where I want to discuss some things because, you know, it is July. We are getting ready for hunting season. You and I were both, you know, I could probably say we're, we're gear nerds, right? We love that type of stuff. You know, Tether just released not only one product, not two products, but three, three new products this past uh, July 1st. And that is obviously the lockdown saddle, the King uh, comfort, and then the fold and go as well as the scrap or the scorpion grappling hook. You know, those are three new products that you have coming, you know, or are out right now, I guess, talk a little bit about, you know, who, who is this lockdown saddle designed for? Because I mean, you have your, the phantom, right? The, the phantom, I believe is, I remember when I first saw the lockdown, I was like, man, I, I just love my Phantom, right? Like that is, that is such a, a great freaking saddle. And then knowing my style of hunting, I do sit more than I lean. And I just like being close to the tree. I just like the way I could pivot around using my knees and just the way I, my personal setup. And then I got in the lockdown and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> in a good way you know like this is dang this sucker is so comfortable and just the way seeing how that yoke system goes and I'm, I'm stealing the thunder here but who is this lockdown saddle really designed for or uh go to go with for, for that man it's it's a really good saddle it's very, very comfortable. I had the same experience, you know, two years ago when we had the first prototype, when Carl brought out the first prototype, it was quite a bit different than it is now. But the, you know, the nuts and bolts were the same. The, 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 mm -hmm. you know, when we first sat in, I was like, man, this is really comfortable. I'm personally, I never found the Phantom to be uncomfortable. Right. I have hunted for years out of the Phantom from, I've done, several daylight to dark sits a Same. lot of six hour sits you know a lot of 5 a.m to noons so a lot of long sits and i was never uncomfortable so this idea of it being a more comfortable saddle it is it is um but i just go i go I just go back and forth because at heart I'm a minimalist. I like yeah. to take the, the the least amount of stuff in as possible, and uh, it's uh, it's 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 a bigger, bulkier. Um, not that it's bulky, but compared to the Phantom, which was like slim and super minimalist, yep. like it pretty much everything's bulkier than that, right? So yep. it, it's a it's a bulkier. Um, larger more feature packed saddles so for the guy that like that, that yoke system it's, it's another thing i never had a problem with the phantom coming off my off my waist never and i've hunted in a thousand states with no oh, that's a lie i've hunted in a lot of places in a lot of different temperature ranges with the saddle with the phantom and i never had an issue with it coming off but a lot of guys do. A lot of people say that it doesn't, it likes to ride down. So, you know, we came out with the yoke system, which solves that problem. My favorite thing about the lockdown is the pockets. Okay. Those pockets with the IFS, uh, Carl called it the internal frame structure, the IFS, that is awesome. And to me, that's worth upgrading to the, to the, to the lockdown just because of that. 
uh, you can really get in and out of those pockets with one hand. So like with the Phantom, like with our traditional cis haulers, our, the pockets that go on the outside on your hips on the Phantom saddle, it takes two hands, right? So you yep. got to kind of contort and reach over and get not a big deal. I've done it for years, but the, the lockdown does make it easier. So yeah. you can just get in and out of those with one, one hand. And I like the zippers. They're quiet. They work well. There's a ton of storage. I think for a lot of early and mid-season hunts, I don't even think I don't even think you'd need a pack. Like if you're not self-filming, so if you're not carrying a bulky camera with a camera arm and stuff like that, I think that 90% of guys can ditch the pack altogether with the way that we design those pockets with how much volume there is. Um, and I think even some minimalists with small cameras and small like stuff that they're doing at fourth arrow with their really small, like their satellite arm that fits in one of the pockets on the lockdown. So I think for an early season guy that where you're not having to carry bulky layers, I think you can ditch a pack altogether, um, yeah. which is really cool. So, and it's comfortable, man. I, you just, you just can't deny that it's really, really comfortable. So if you're not a minimalist and you don't mind carrying a little bit more weight, I mean, it's still not anywhere close no. to a tree stand. I mean, the lockdown is like three and a half pounds, I think, all in. Um, so if you don't mind carrying a little bit more weight and bulk, um, as far as saddle hunting goes, uh, it's still the most minimalist thing ever. Um, it's not any bulkier than a than a safety harness for your tree stand right um if you if you don't mind that get the lockdown it's awesome it's so comfortable the pockets are amazing um the yoke is awesome everything that we did in that thing is just a home run if you're more of a minimalist you don't do a lot of long sits you know mo let's say most of your sits are you know four hours or under um and you don't like to carry a lot of stuff, get the Phantom. Yep. That's, that's what I would say. It's it's very – the Phantom is the, the biggest selling saddle of all, of all time. In history, no saddle is sold more than the Phantom, and there's a reason for that because it's just awesome. So there you go. Yeah. I hope I made that as clear yeah. as mud. Just to you more than anything, get the lockdown. It is way, way, way comfortable. If uh, – if 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 minimalism and lightweight matters more than anything, get the phantom. Yeah, that's kind of like what I've been telling my friends. I said, you know, I could I go without having a lockdown 100 percent, but knowing my style and like later on. And that, I agree with you. I've never been uncomfortable in my phantom. So like that was also like the hard part. It's like I've never been uncomfortable. So it's not like I need to do that. I'm with you, though. I like the, the pocket sides. And there are times where I know I I take my camera, but then there are times when the season hits, I'm like, I'm not taking my camera today. And you know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's pros and there's cons of why for sure. And don't get me wrong. I know I'll end up having one, you know, like I'll, I'll for sure be end up using one, uh, no doubt about it. But I think for someone that is also maybe trying saddle hunting for the first time, I think if, like you said, comfort, uh, you know, stability, just all that different types of things. I think the lockdown offers a lot more than the Phantom does to that person, maybe a little bit too. Like, like you said, the yoke system. And I know obviously you could use our suspenders and all that type of stuff. Um, but that's the beauty of it. Like what's a one-stop shop. So you could pick whatever that individual really wants. There's an option for you. So, yeah. So I think it's always 
being innovative, pushing the needle a little bit. And I think uh, you guys continue to, to do that. Thanks, man. Um, I, I uh, yeah, well, and you're part of it. So, you know, we're all in this together. <laughs> yep. But I, I almost get a little upset at, at I, I guess I'm upset with myself because I'm in charge of the marketing and sales and I'm the one that coined it the king of comfort. But it, it irritates me a little bit because it almost likes it, it almost says that that means that the phantom was uncomfortable. And I right. know we just kind of both hit on this, that it's that's not true. The phantom is incredibly comfortable. I've again, I've been hunting with the phantom since 2018 or no, 2019. Yeah. Um, 2019 was the first prototype year of the of the phantom. So I switched out of the mantis in 2019. So I've been hunting 19, 20, 21, 22, four. Well, Last year, I, I messed around with prototypes of the uh, lockdown. lockdown. So for three years, I hunted from the Phantom. Never had issues with comfort. Right. Matter of fact, I like telling this story too. So the first, very first hunt I ever hunted with the Phantom was a prototype in 2019. And uh, it was, a, I sat from daylight to dark in Montana on a water hole trying to shoot a bow, trying to be the first guy to shoot an elk with a bow. So... Very first hunt out of Phantom, daylight to dark, no issues, right? I mean, that's a long hunt in the long summer days of September. I guess technically maybe that's fall, but still, days are long, and I sat there all day with no issues. I mean, yeah, sure, you have to rotate positions, and every hour or so I would stand up and you know turn around on the mm -hmm. platform and put my back against the tree to just give my body a little break, but you got to do that in a tree, tree stand, stand too. Anyway. I mean, yep. you can't. You can't sit in a tree stand all day without moving. Like you've got to move around. To Same stay thing on the ground. Is if you're hunting Same from the ground. the ground, yeah, you, you have to move. Yeah, I mean, when I'm turkey hunting, I can only sit there for about 45 minutes or so, an hour before I've got to shift around because I start yeah. getting really uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, not to beat a dead horse, but the Phantom is not uncomfortable. It's just that the lockdown takes it. To, to the next desk level. level. I mean, yeah. it, it is just like a lazy boy up in the tree. It's very, very comfortable. <laughs> and then uh, the fold and go, which is, I think, a really cool bow arm. I mean, just a, I don't want to say bow arm or bow hanger because it's really just any equipment hanger. I mean, you could hang anything off of it. I'm excited. What I'm really excited for and something that I found really helpful is with my hitch strap is during rifle season, whether I'm on like a, if I'm a post postman during, uh, friggin' if, if people are doing a drive towards me, I put my hitch strap up around because it gets my gear off the ground, one, but then two, having some sort, and now they're folding goes, if my, if my gun is hanging up, I could just, boom, fold it right over, and if it needs to go to the other side, I'm able to do that. It offers a little bit more stability than just pressing it up against a tree. Me, personally, that's what I've found, um, you know, and obviously last year I didn't run one as a prototype or anything like that. So I was using a different style bow hanger and I had two different ones on each side. But now having that option of both of them folding the way they're designed, uh, I, I don't know. It's a really cool piece. Again, I I've, I transitioned to the quick draw for, for archery season. I think that it's so hard. Um, but I still might have my fold and go on me just for the sole fact of, I'm going to toy around with where I want my backpack, right? Like where I, where I, will I have it? Normally that's the beauty of our hitch strap too. I know this is going to sound like a big gear thing, but this is me walking through my complete system. But when that long tag comes out on my hitch strap, 
there's a loop on like what are what what is it every inch that we have one is that how far apart yeah, our inch and a half I think. yeah so an inch and a half there's not a section where you cannot not hang something from right it doesn't matter you're not limited so having that long tag in that's usually where I would have my backpack but now if it's up where the top part is it's going to I think. I'm going to mess around with, I, I think I'll, I'm going to like that a, a little bit better rather than, than it being closer to my knees, uh, the lower part. So I'm going to mess around with that, but the fold and go is a really cool piece. It's quiet and you have still have the option to put stealth strip onto it uh, to begin with. So I I'm really excited about having that new little piece of gear in the toolbox. Yeah. The fold and go sweet, man. And I'm going to echo what you said about rifle season. I think, I think what I'm going to do this year is any rifle hunts, I'm going to take two, mm-hmm. uh, two folding goes, one on the left and one on the right. So that way I can also use it as a rifle rest because yep. you can, you can put that hiss strap on at the right height I, yep. to where you can lay your rifle right across that hiss strap and have a nice little mount and put one on both sides. That way you're, you're good no matter what. Now, uh, and here's another, here's another benefit of the lockdown. Those pockets are so big. And you can put so much gear in there. The folding goes really lightweight, so you could just throw one in your in your uh, pocket lockdown hauler, and you have it. And if you want it, use it. And if not, don't. You right. know that's a you know you're not going to carry. You're not going to pay a big weight penalty for that. Now, the hiss strap, in my opinion, is one of the best things we've ever made. Yep. I think that is the best gear hanger on the planet. Um, I'm doing a shameless plug right now, Greg. Go go to the Antler Up pod, podcast uh, YouTube. That was uh, my latest video. Is the the most underrated piece of hunting gear that you could own, and it doesn't matter if you're a saddle hunter, tree stand hunter, a ground hunter. No matter if you are just a hunter, this piece of gear you should own. I completely agree. Completely agree, man. And that tail, like you were talking about with your pack, this is a tip that might help you. So. Uh, Whenever you've got that thing locked down and you've got that tail, so one of the tricks that I use is I'll take that tail and I'll run it to wherever I want to put my pack, and then I'll run it through from the top down on one of the loops in the exact location so I can easily move my pack. Like if I want my pack to be on the backside of the tree, but I don't want it up high, I want it down low, I'll run that that long six-foot tail that's left over and drop it down through one of the loops on the backside of the tree, and then I can still manage the height as well. The other thing that I've done with that hiss strap is in certain trees, I've done it where I've taken that tail, I've locked it on so my bow's hanging, you know, on the hiss strap and maybe my grunt tube or whatever's in front of me or my binos or whatever. Then I'll take that tail and I'll run it to another limb or another trunk and wrap it around and lock it off so I can move my pack to a different tree trunk altogether. You can use that tail. Typically, you're going to have, you know, six, six to eight foot of tail left mm-hmm. on that thing. And you can do that. You can you can do a hundred different things with that tail. And I've done it a lot. I think the, I think the hiss strap, I'm going to completely agree with you and say that is a very underrated piece of gear. And when you marry that with the uh, quick draw bow hook, I know I sell it and I know that like is kind of my design. So I'm partial to it, but I don't think I'll stick to saddle hunting because you're facing the tree a little different for tree stands. Cause you wouldn't want your bow behind you. But if you're a saddle hunter, I don't think there is a better bow hanging gear, hanging system on the planet than that, that little quick draw hook that drops right down into one of the hiss strap slots. I and mean, it's easy. It's bulletproof. 
it's no nonsense. You can't screw it up. It's just, it's, it lives on your bow, so you don't have to find it. It's just perfect. Yeah. It's just, I, I can't really think of a way that could be improved upon that, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I, I agree. And then obviously so, this. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Shameless plug for Tethered Gear and Antler Up yeah. YouTube channel. <laughs> and then the Scorpion, uh, just kind of that little grappling hook. I, It's really cool to hear and see people, how fired up they are about this little thing. Like, I remember when I first saw it, I'm thinking to myself, Man, yeah, I remember when I dropped this, and that would have been really cool. But just hearing different people's stories and seeing, they're like, man, if I would have had this, and it's crazy. So that's another really cool, innovative, uh, small innovative design that, that we thought we didn't need. We knew we wanted something, but we didn't know we needed it. One of the things that I like about the Scorpion, again, we do everything we do, we think about weight and packability. So, you know, it folds flat, which is really cool for a, for a treble hook style gear, a grappling hook, you know, most of the times they're big, but this one folds flat and it fits. It's, it weighs like an ounce and a half. Like there's nothing to it. Uh, one of my favorite ways to use it is I, I keep it in my pack at all times. Doesn't mean I use it on every hunt, but every now and again, before the scorpion last year was the first year I had the scorpion hook, the prototype, I would sometimes avoid trees climbing trees that had a lot of limbs because I knew that Backpack. the way I hauled my bow up was I, I leave it on the ground and I attach it to my hip. And then when I get up, I fish, I just pull it up. Well, if you're going over and around limbs, now you're screwed. You can't get your bow, your bow up. So in situations like that, I will just, you know, pick my tree or pick my spot where I'm going to be on the tree, leave the bow right under that spot. Then once you're up there, you drop the scorpion hook and just fish it up. St. Carl taught me that. Um, so again, it just it can live in your pack, and you never know what you might need it for. You drop your drop. I mean, who hasn't dropped the glove? Yep. yep. When you take it off to do something with your phone, and you drop it, or you drop your hat, or you drop your grunt call. Everybody's done it. Now you can fish that thing up without having to climb back down. And and I don't know how many times I've needed an extra two feet to get to a limb that I couldn't reach. And now you can just toss that grappling hook over the limb, pull it down, tie it, you know, tie it around or bend it behind another branch to make yourself a shooting lane. Like there's a thousand things you could do with that scorpion hook that don't have to do with gear, you know? So it's a, it's a great, it's a great little thing. It doesn't weigh anything. It can just live in your pack or on your, on your hip. And you know, it's like better to need and not have, or, or or then or better to have, have and not need than yep. to need and not have right yep. so yep. you you get that thing and it just lives in your pack and and then when you need it you need it and if you don't you know you're not carrying an extra five pounds of weight you're just carrying an ounce or so more so it's a it's a pretty cool deal that is really cool deal so now north dakota is one of the first things coming up what is your what is your saddle setup are you going your phantom still or are you going lockdown so i don't know for that hunt I'm not taking a camera guy. I'm going to self-film everything. So I will, I might use the Phantom on that one. Um, I'll have both with me in, in North Dakota. So I might just switch them out. Uh, I'm fortunate. I know a guy that can get me all the stuff that I need for saddle hunting. So uh, I can take multiple setups with me. So I I might have both, but um, probably the Phantom probably the phantom i'll use in north dakota and then in 
Illinois, I'll probably take the lockdown because that's going to be longer sits. Those will probably be either all day sits or at least till noon, like yeah. lunchtime sits. So I'll probably bring the lockdown for that one. And then, uh, and then I'll just probably flip back and forth. Plus, we've got another saddle that we're prototyping this fall. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. So I'll be sitting in that one some this year too, getting getting the final uh, getting the final feels. Maybe you should sit in it too in September when you come with me to North Dakota. Dakota. I like it. Well, that's a that's a perfect way to to end out, Greg. Man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything that you have ever done for me and uh, continue to do for the hunting community as well. It, it's just it's awesome. Like I said, it, it, it dates prior to us even meeting, and I've learned a crap ton from you. So it's an honor to have you on and and friendship and stuff like that so where could people uh obviously tethernation.com it's plugged on every single one of my episodes but as far as maybe other things from old videos from you or anything along those lines where could people find that and and learn more about what you know all the things that you've done i always like to point people to my youtube channel g2 outdoors i don't post on it anymore um it's been dormant for a few years but i have a ton of content From way back in the day, from when I was, you know, we're talking almost 10 years ago, from when I was doing, you know, building these saddles in my garage and kind of DIY and equipment. Um, But there's still a lot of really good, relevant stuff on there. Even if you're not a DIY guy, if you like to, you know, just buy off the shelf stuff, there's some really cool little tips and tricks, just stuff I learned over the years from figuring this stuff out. You can watch a lot of hunts a lot of these out-of-state hunts um you can watch a lot like i i think I, yeah i think the most watched video on my channel is that uh diy truck build uh, bed yep truck build yep. yeah so i i, I catalog <laughs> that so if you want to see a quick easy way to build a a, a a a camper setup for the back of your truck bed go watch that i got a lot of fit, like just a lot of stuff you know from yeah. so so g2 outdoors for like kind of DIY hunting stuff. And then if you want, uh, if you want the saddle hunting gear, you know, tethered wherever, uh, pretty much tethered nation everywhere. You nailed that one. So yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's where all my stuff lives. Thanks for having me on. It's always awesome to spend some time chatting with you, Jeremy. And I don't know when the next time I see you face to face, I don't think it'll be until North Dakota first week of September. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like it, Greg. It's a pleasure. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Go check out G2 Outdoors and obviously what Tethered Nation's all doing. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Antler up.